0: Good morning. My name is Brian Parks. I am the senior pastor here at Covenant Hope Church. We are studying through the book of Philippians right now. We're almost always going to be working through an entire book of the Bible rather than creating topical series of sermons, series, say, on marriage or how to know God's will for your life. Of course, those are wonderful things to learn about and the Bible teaches us about those things. But God gave us the Bible in the form of individual books written by different people at different times in different contexts. And so when we study entire books and understand who wrote it and when they wrote it and why they wrote it, we read it from cover to cover, we're letting God set the agenda for what He wants to teach us and not people like, Brian Parks, your pastor, choosing, cherry-picking, topical things to teach you about. Marriage and knowing God's will will come up in the text because God speaks to us about those things, but it will come up in the way that God intends it to and in the time that God intends it as well. Well, turn with me in your Bible to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 30. So just keep your finger there first, though. This past week, I invited uh, Hemant Joshi over to the house. He ate lunch with me on uh, Wednesday afternoon. And uh, as I asked him about how he was doing with the Lord, how the job search was going, and then about his family, I began to learn some things about him that I hadn't known before. Uh, Hemant comes from a Hindu family. In fact, Hemant's father is a very famous Hindu priest in Northern India. And him uh, began to tell me about his family life there, how he really had absolutely no contact with Christians or Christian families uh, as he was growing up. And then he began to tell me about uh, how, because of his privileged position as the son of a Hindu priest, he was well taken care of. And in fact, that position led him to be a person of some arrogance and pride about how he saw himself as above others. And then, through a number of circumstances, which I'll let Hemant tell you, he came to Christ. He gave his life to Christ. And then Hemant turned to me and he said, Brian, I can't tell you how much Roy and Amitah, and Frank and Sneha taught me how to live like a Christian. I've learned so much from them. I watched Frank interact with his wife Sneha. I watched him go through different struggles and trials and how he was content and rejoiced in the Lord no matter what. I watched Sneha deal with ongoing physical ailments, but she was serving nevertheless leading and teaching women who gathered around her all the time. He said, I watched Roy and how he spoke with his wife, Amitta. I watched how they interacted with their children, how they taught them, how they would discipline them in love, but with firmness and strength because they loved them. What would I have done without seeing the Christian life lived out in Roy and Amitta and Frank and Sneha, he said. What would we do without seeing the life of Christ lived out in Christians of godly and Christ-like character? What would we do? We need to see examples around us of people following Jesus. And that's what our passage is about this morning. So turn with me, if you've got your finger there already, to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, you're our rock and you're our redeemer. Amen. Well, the main idea from this passage is that we should imitate Christ-like servants of Christ. We should imitate Christ-like servants of Christ. And as we work down through the passage, we see that there's really just two paragraphs there, and they're very clearly focused on two men. And we can characterize them and categorize those two paragraphs like this. The first paragraph is about Timothy, and you can title that, Imitate Trustworthy Servants of Christ. Imitate Trustworthy Servants of Christ. The next paragraph is about Epaphroditus. And you could title that, Imitate Self-Sacrificial Servants of Christ. Imitate Self-Sacrificial Servants of Christ. Well, before our passage, Paul has instructed the Philippians to live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's urged them to gospel unity. He's told them to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. He has taught them about how pride is the acid that would dissolve gospel unity, whereas humility is the glue that would build up gospel unity in their midst. And there's been strong warnings against selfish ambition and conceit and looking to their own interests as opposed to looking to the interests of other people around them. Paul has held up Christ as the supreme model of humility, in that Christ was equal with God, and yet he took on the form of a man, a servant, Paul says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And Christ was obedient to the point of death, a shameful death on the cross. We learn from Paul that if someone has repented of their sin and trusted in Christ, They have the mind of Christ. They have the mindset. They have the attitude of Christ that's been given to them. And that mindset of Christ then must lead to actions. So the Philippians are to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. The salvation that they have, that they possess in Christ, they're to work it out into every aspect, every nook and cranny of their lives. Marriages, friendships, families, relationships in the workplace, when they're on holiday, when they're with members of the opposite sex, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, they're to work out their salvation and make it show in their lives. And when they do, if they do that, they will shine like lights in the world, like stars in the sky. They'll stand out will stand out as well if we do the same. But if you're anything like me, you might still be asking a question, but what does humble servanthood look like in different situations? We have the example of Christ, but Christ hasn't lived my life, so to speak. How do I know what it means to be Christ-like in all of the different, varied circumstances that you and I face in life? Well, one of the ways that we know that, other than learning from Scripture, having the Spirit speak to us and illumine our minds about what we should do in any given situation, we, many of us, learn to follow Christ by watching the lives of mature Christians around us. Now, of course, Jesus is always the supreme example to us. And he should only be an example to any of us if you have taken him on as your Lord and your Savior. So we imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. But we learn when fathers and mothers and coaches and teachers and friends and pastors and siblings and any other kind of person in your life lives their life for Christ in front of you, when it's on display for you to see. We see it lived out. Paul knows that the Philippians need real-life examples. And so, two different men who both lived with the mindset of Christ are pointed out in these two paragraphs, Timothy and Epaphroditus. But maybe, maybe imitating other Christians makes you a bit nervous. If we have Jesus, you say to yourself, why do we need to look at the lives of others? If we have Jesus. The answer is because Paul and the scriptures instruct us to. They instruct us to look at the lives of mature Christians around us and even back in time by reading biographies, for example, and to imitate them, to imitate their lives of faithfulness. One reason to be clear about how we imitate Christ and other Christians is that first, we're surrounded by so many Hindus and Muslims here in Dubai. So many, the the vast majority of the population come from a Hindu background or a Muslim background. And on the surface of things, they're often very impressed with Jesus, aren't they? If you've had conversations with your Muslim or your Hindu friend, oftentimes they'll speak glowingly about Jesus. They might even say that they love him, that they want to imitate him. In my many years of conversations with Muslim friends, when the topic of Jesus comes up, they often reply, we love and respect Jesus too, Brian. You know I've I've done many Bible studies with Hindu students as well who after meeting Jesus and the pages of the Gospels are delighted to begin worshiping him along with all the other gods that their family worships. But Jesus, the Jesus of scriptures, the exalted Lord of the universe won't settle for mere love and respect like our Muslim friends want to offer nor will he settle for being one among many gods like our Hindu friends want. No, we imitate Christ because he is Lord, and he's our only Savior. And we imitate other Christians because they show us how to live with the mindset of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a second reason, I think, that we're hesitant to embrace imitating other Christians, And that is that we've known people who called themselves Christians who were trying to be like Jesus so that they could earn God's love and forgiveness. They were trusting in their works to make them right with God. In fact, maybe some of you were those people. (laughs) You grew up in a church and you read the Bible. You were taught the Scriptures. But you thought that in order to be received by God, in order to be forgiven by God, you needed to reach this level of perfection, moral perfection in your life. And so you strove for it, to earn God's forgiveness. And so imitating other Christians to those of us who maybe lived that kind of life reminds us of those days when we were trying to earn God's favor. And so we focus entirely now on remembering Christ's work on the cross, on our justification, and we shy away from imitation. Don't get me wrong, focusing on the atoning work of Jesus on the cross is of great importance in the Christian life. But the Bible is not shy about imitation. Paul is not shy about imitation. The scriptures tell us that trusting in the atoning work of Christ and becoming more like Christ by imitation of mature Christians are two things that are not opposed to one another. No, they fit together. In fact, Martin Luther, who was one of the most famous theologians to teach justification by faith alone, said this, Imitation does not make a son, but sonship makes an imitator. Imitation does not make a son, but sonship makes an imitator. In other words, imitating Jesus doesn't turn us into adopted children in the family of God, received by God, forgiven by God, but trusting in Christ and Christ alone does turn us into imitators of Him. We begin by trusting in Christ's sacrifice and His complete forgiveness of our sins. And one of the ways that we can grow then after that is by imitation. There's a third reason that I think about that might make us hesitant to embrace the imitation of other Christians around us. And that's because some of us have observed other Christians living for Jesus, and rather than being encouraged to joyfully follow Christ in similar ways, instead we feel bad about ourselves. We're jealous for the attention that those people get. Or the admiration of others that they receive. We want that. And so we work furiously and we work anxiously to be better. Not better to please God our Father, but better than them. That's pride driving imitation. That's imitation not to please God, but to please yourself by gaining the attention of others. And scripture never encourages imitation for prideful reasons. We imitate other Christians to please God. We imitate other Christians knowing that we've already been accepted and adopted by God into his family. We're called sons and daughters of the King already because of trust in Christ alone. Imitation for the attention of men is something that you might need to repent of if that describes you. Well, it's time to explore these wonderful examples that Paul holds up for the Philippians and for us to see. And with Timothy, he's encouraging us to imitate a trustworthy servant of Christ. Imitate a trustworthy servant of Christ. So, look at the passage beginning with verse 19. Paul hopes to send Timothy to benefit the Philippians and to bring back news about the church there that would cheer or encourage Paul himself. And then Paul tells us what makes Timothy stand out in verses 20 through 22. He will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, Paul says, for they seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Paul says that Timothy wants and will work for what's best for you, Philippians. He'll put your interests above his own interests. Just like Christ Put our interests above his own when he took on flesh and he went to the cross. Timothy has the mind of Christ. And that stands in contrast to the people of verse 21. They seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You know, in all likelihood, Paul is probably referring to the preachers from chapter one that were preaching the gospel out of selfishness and envy and rivalry. To make a name for themselves and maybe to become more famous than Paul. But Timothy's not like that. He's unique in that he puts others' welfare before his own. Not only that, but Timothy has proven himself in ministry with Paul as well. In verse 22, Paul says that the Philippians should know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. You know, Timothy was so dear to Paul. Timothy was loyal. He's been in the trenches, so to speak, doing the hard and challenging gospel ministry with Paul. And that proved his godly character. If you know someone who has a reputation for putting other people's needs first, they're not selfish, for example, And they've done this over the course of time. Not just for a day, or maybe even a week, or maybe even for a month, but they've done it for even longer. And a person of even higher reputation commends them to you, just like Paul commended Timothy to the Philippians. Then they would be someone that you should entrust yourself to. They are the kind of person that you and I should look to imitate. The way that they're following Christ should be the way that we follow Christ as well. So Timothy's proven worth reminds me of Paul's instruction back in chapter 1 of let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Hear the, hear the similarity, the echo there? Timothy is a man of proven worth. He was living a life worthy of the gospel. We should imitate trustworthy men and women who are like Timothy. And God has put some of those men and women in our midst already. And so just as Paul names names, I want to do the same. So I want to commend to you the other three elders of Covenant Hope Church as trustworthy servants of the Lord Jesus Christ that you should get to know and imitate their way of life. For example, Nissen Matthew. Now, you know, it's a real privilege to do this here today. It's kind of funny to me that none of the three are here. So you'll have to tell them what I said about them, okay? But Nissen Matthew, in some ways, is like a son to me, like Timothy was a son to Paul. I've known him since he was a student, when he was not a Christian. I've seen him come to faith in one of the food courts of Knowledge Village, I've seen him grow in the faith. He's partnered with me in the gospel ministry. And he's become an elder alongside me. And Nissen has wisdom beyond his years. You know what? Nissen is more than 20 years my junior. And yet I would seek counsel from Nissen in a heartbeat if I faced difficult and challenging decision. I would look to him. God has put that kind of wisdom in him already. Or I think about Frank Sampson, another elder here at Covenant Hope. Frank has served so many people with wise counsel, and it's amazing. It's particularly amazing to me because Frank is actually not that old in the Lord. He just gave his life to the Lord back in the late first decade of the 2000s, maybe around 2007, 2008. But he's worked Tirelessly for the gospel ministry here in Dubai since that time. You heard at the beginning of my sermon how he's influenced Hema and Rebecca Joshi. And they're not the only ones. And you know what? Even though Frank is my senior, he has humbled himself and he's let me teach him things about following Jesus and about leading the church. And there's David Lawrence. You should look to David Lawrence and imitate his way of life. I've worked in the gospel ministry with David since 1993. 24 years I've worked with David. And I would gladly continue to work year in and year out with him. It's going to be sad for me when next summer we send him off to Iraq. It'll be the end of a, a long span of faithful partnership together. And you know what, a majority of people in this room could attest to David's great love for so many different people. David has boundless energy to pay attention to people around him. His patient guidance and the extraordinary amounts of time that he gives to others are an example to me. I'm constantly spurred on by the example of David Lawrence. And I commend him to you as someone to imitate in the faith. All three of these men are men of proven worth. I've seen each one of them put the interests of themselves aside and put the interests of others first. They've served me and they've served alongside me in the gospel for years even. Learn how they make decisions, brothers and sisters. Watch how they interact with their spouses. Watch how they love other people day in and day out. See how they spend their time and imitate them when you see something Christ-like in them. Put it into practice in your own life. And you know what, there are women in our congregation too. And though their wives don't hold offices in the church, I can commend them to you as well. They are trustworthy servants of Christ. They're worth imitating. Chris Lawrence has served faithfully in the gospel alongside David and Joanne and I for many years. And she has a tremendous reputation as a follower of Christ at the school where she's worked for close to 15 years. She's hosted literally hundreds, maybe thousands of people in her home for meals, dinners around the table where people have discussed the Bible, told their testimonies of faith. She is a woman worth imitating. Sneha Sampson has graciously lived out her Christian faith since the very same year when she gave her life to Christ, same year that Frank did. And you all know how she has graciously battled with physical ailments and remained content in Christ. And she meets with so many women, women who come to her and spend time with her. She seems to have so much energy for that, despite the, challenges, the physical challenges that she has. And boy, is she a faithful prayer warrior. If you want to be prayed for, share your prayer request with Sneha Sampson. And there's Joanna Matthew. Joanna, of course, is in somewhat like Nissen to me. She's almost a daughter in the work of the Lord to me. Like Nissen, I knew her when she was not in the Lord. I studied the Scripture with her before she came to Christ. And then after she came to Christ, she began to grow. And she began to influence those around her. And she partnered with me in the ministry. And uh, I have seen her influence grow by leaps and bounds. You know what? Joanna has incredibly keen insights into the Scripture and a great love for the Scripture and studying the Bible with her is a privilege. I count it a privilege to study the Bible with with Joanna. And not only that, but Joanna is an amazing evangelist. Whenever I see Joanna interacting with non-Christians, I'm encouraged and I'm inspired. Imitate these Godly women, these trustworthy servants of the Lord Jesus. But those men and women are not the only ones in our midst. Some of you, as well, are either already trustworthy servants of Christ, or maybe you're well on your way to being men and women that others should imitate. Timothy became a trustworthy servant of Christ by learning from Paul. Each of you who are Christians should look around the church our church, and find people of proven worth to imitate just the same. And you will become the Timothys of tomorrow. Well, imitating trustworthy servants of Christ will also strengthen a church's ability to live peacefully in unity despite our differences and our diversity. We know from what Paul writes in his letter that the Philippians were in danger of becoming a fractured community, torn apart by division and envy and rivalry. In fact, by name, Paul urges two women at the very end of the book of Philippians to get along with one another. How would you like for your name to be immortalized in the scriptures, being urged to get along with your neighbor? Well, that's why Paul has urged the Philippians then to Stand firm together to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul sending Timothy to them, not only to teach them, but to model for them trustworthy servanthood of Christ. Trust between people enables them to love one another well across differences. And so it is in our church. Our diversity and our differences, whether they're cultural or whether they're the differences between men and women, the differences between husbands and wives, between youth and adults, between old and young, no matter what the differences are, they're best overcome by each of us imitating trustworthy servanthood in our relationships with one another. If there's division and rivalry in our midst, it's likely that there's no trust between us. Imitating trustworthy servants of Christ brings unity even amidst our diversity. And so we must continue to do that, brothers and sisters. Who are you imitating? Have you chosen well? Or are you being influenced by the wrong people? People at work? Or maybe old friends who are not following Christ, like you? You know, Paul himself was putting the interests of the Philippians above his own by pledging to send Timothy, his son in the faith. Remember, Paul was the one who was in prison. And here he is sending his son in the faith to the Philippians. But he tells them in verses 23 through 24 that as soon as he sees how it will go with him, perhaps maybe how his trial is going to turn out, that he'll send Timothy and he intends to go to Philippi and be there with them himself. Timothy, the trustworthy servant of Christ, is just the first person, of course, that he highlights to the Philippians. In verse 25, he puts the spotlight on Epaphroditus. And he encourages the Philippians to imitate self-sacrificial servants of Christ. That's the second point this morning. Imitate self-sacrificial servants of Christ. Unlike Timothy, Epaphroditus seems to be from the city of Philippi, he came from their midst. He's brought gifts and money, perhaps supplies from the Philippians to Paul to serve him while he's in prison. In chapter 4, verse 18, Paul writes, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. That's the only other time that Epaphroditus is mentioned in the Bible, in our passage and in chapter 4. And now Paul thinks it's important to send him back to the Philippians. So in his first reference to Epaphroditus, he describes him with five, count them, five different titles for Epaphroditus. In verse 25, he says that he's my brother. You know, if Timothy is his son, Epaphroditus is Paul's brother. He's like family to Paul now. He calls him a fellow worker. So just as Timothy had served with Paul in the gospel, so had Epaphroditus. He calls him a fellow soldier. That would have perked up the ears of the Philippians. Philippi was a Roman colony with so, with many, many retired uh, Roman soldiers in it. They would have thought about how fellow soldiers should be held in high regard. And then he calls him your messenger. He's your messenger, your messenger to me. He had brought the gifts to Paul and news of the Philippians as well. News that Paul is writing this letter based on the knowledge of. And finally he says, he's a minister to my need. That word there, minister, is like the very same word for servant or service. You know, perhaps Paul thought that the Philippians would be tempted to be ashamed of Epaphroditus since they learn we learn later that he got sick and perhaps had to be taken care of himself, maybe even by by Paul. But Paul wants Epaphroditus to be held in the highest of regard among the Philippians. And he goes on to tell of how while Epaphroditus was ill and near to death, he was distressed not for his own situation, but he was concerned that the Philippians would hear about his illness and worry about him. Imagine that. He's near to death, and he kind of doesn't, he's worried about the Philippians worrying about him. I don't know of many people like that. But God had mercy on Epaphroditus. It seems he was healed, which of course Paul says spared him as well, sorrow upon sorrow should Epaphroditus have died. And just as Paul makes plain that Timothy is like Christ in his concern for others and his trustworthiness, here Paul is emphasizing how Epaphroditus is like Christ in his self-sacrifice. And so we see that twice Paul tells us that Epaphroditus almost died. In verse 27, he says he was near to death. And in verse 30, he says he nearly died. In both of those cases, Paul is using a similar phrase that links Epaphroditus to Christ. You might remember in chapter 2, verse 8, Paul reminds the Philippians that Christ was obedient to the point of death. Paul wants them to see the self-sacrificial mind of Christ at work in Epaphroditus. And just as Christ was honored by God and given the name that is above every name, so Epaphroditus is to be honored and received with joy when he returns to the Philippians. Verses 29 through 30, Paul says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. (laughs) You know, in some ways, Epaphroditus was just a messenger. He was just a messenger. And we know Timothy was an elder. Later, Paul would write, Special letters to Timothy because he was a preacher, he was an elder in a church. Perhaps it's right to see Epaphroditus as doing the work of a deacon here. But Paul makes clear that men of his character are to be rejoiced over and honored, no matter how lowly or seemingly insignificant their tasks are. And when we rejoice over and honor people, we are necessarily holding them up in our community as worthy of imitation. So since we started Covenant Hope, so many of you have been sacrificing for the good of all of us. And you know what? It would be hard to pick out just a few of you, but I'm thinking back to even just last Friday. Last Friday after the service, I don't know if many of you were around, but there were a group of probably 10 to 15 men members of the church who joined in to recarpet the platform that I'm standing on. <laughs> and so everyone got a little bit sweaty, maybe a lot sweaty, uh, and few of them, I know for a fact, had actually been asked to help. But they saw what was going on and they took the initiative and they jumped in to serve. Those are men that we should imitate. Imitate the fact that they took initiative to meet a need not waiting to be asked. People like Jim Johnson and Rahul Ravishankar. You know what? Almost every Friday I see them glowing with perspiration when I walk in the door. Okay, Because they've been here longer and they've been out in the heat and they've been bringing things in and setting those things up. Or maybe you've seen Rita Sudhir and Kim Gregory and Gigi Philip, among others, who've been serving in the children's ministry. Or maybe you haven't seen them because they're up in those two rooms during the majority of the service. They're serving in a, a part of our church's ministry that, you know what, I don't actually get to see very easily. And when they do that, they are giving up the opportunity to hear the sermon in person so that they can serve the parents who attend the church. And they can serve the children in those rooms, teaching them about the gospel and about Christ. Or there's Shannel Phillip and Benji Epen, that have served self-sacrificially in all that they've done to lead us in singing and battle with all the sound equipment that we've had to figure out. Or there's Lil and Mark and John who serve as full-time staff for the church and do so much that you may or may not see. They're serving sacrificially. And there are many more here that I'm not mentioning by name. I could actually go on and on and on, and we'd be here into the afternoon hours. And perhaps one day we should. Covenant Hope, I want to encourage you to rejoice when you see each other laying down your lives in sacrificial service. That's the mind of Christ at work in people. Who do you see living self-sacrificially for the work of Christ? Who look around you imitate them pattern your life after them learn from their service you know just a few verses before our passage today Paul told the Philippians that when they lived for Christ they would stand out in the world like lights in the night sky so Timothy and Epaphroditus are example of bright lights in the dark world and when we imitate them and people like them, people will notice. We will glorify God, and opportunities for speaking about Christ will follow. Recently, a member of our church got a call from a non Christian friend here in the city. He said, My business is struggling. People owe us money in my company, but they haven't paid us millions of dirhams, in fact and the people that we owe money to are actually cashing the checks sooner than they told us they would. I'm waiting for the policeman to walk through the front door of the offices of my company and take me to jail any day, any hour. And my wife is due with our baby this week. I thought of you. You're someone that I trust. Would you be there to help my wife and my family if I go to jail? the world notices when we live as trustworthy self-sacrificing servants of Christ you know if you're not a Christian I wonder why you think we strive to live like this John alluded to that question earlier in the service as he led us through I wonder if you think to yourself why do they strive to live like this what does it benefit them you know what even as much as we strive to live like Christ, to live as trustworthy servants of Christ or self-sacrificing servants of Christ, we don't always succeed. But that's not what we're setting out to do in life. Why would we want to imitate people who risk their lives for one another, who joyfully embrace sometimes the thankless tasks? We want to imitate Christians who are trustworthy because Christ is, is the most trustworthy because he keeps his word, because he's faithful. We want to imitate Christians who are self-sacrificing because Christ sacrificed his life so that we could know forgiveness and the love of the Father forever and ever. The good news is that Christ came to reconcile us to God We were cut off from Him because of our sin, but He paid the price for our sin and invites us to turn away from our sin and trust Him to gain a righteousness, a trustworthiness, a self-sacrificing heart that we could never attain by ourselves. Will you follow Him with us? Will you turn from your sin and trust in Him Christians imitate trustworthy and self-sacrificing servants of Christ. Brothers and sisters, who are you imitating? Who are you imitating? Let's pray.